Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 179 with Dr. Alan Mink. Here, the good doctor and colonel shared insights from his career journey and wisdom when it comes to making radical job and career shifts. So you're going to learn, one, the argument for making radical career changes, two, the importance of personal relationships and making that successful pivot, and three, how to effectively manage your skill gaps when you do the pivot. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep179. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some of our handy resources. One I'd point you to is our 10 Days to Winning at Work free email course. This is a selection of the most bite-sized and easy, fun, actionable tidbits I share in my enhanced thinking and collaboration training programs. So you can use the same approaches to slash through waste at work, free up some time for brilliant strategic thoughts or just getting home early or whatever you need to do. So that's over there at awesomeatyourjob.com, the 10 days to winning at work email course. Now here's Al's story. Dr. Alan Mink teaches management, information and systems as an adjunct professor at American University's Kogod Graduate School of Business. Dr. Mink is the Managing Director for System Spirit, a boutique consulting team influential in connecting technology firms with the needs of the Department of Defense. Dr. Mink previously served as the business growth lead for SRA International's largest business unit, Vice President Defense and Intelligence for Unisys Corporation, and a COO-CTO of the Systems and Software Consortium. Al retired from the United States Air Force as a colonel and decorated combat pilot. His final assignment was at Headquarters Air Force, leading the USAF's portfolio of 13 IT initiatives for what's now the A6 CIO. He is an advisory board member of the MIT Enterprise Forum, which informs, advises, and coaches technology entrepreneurs to start and grow firms with world-changing impact. Here's Al. Oh, but first, I should actually note, I made a rookie mistake here and realized I was not using my external microphone midway through the interview. So you'll hear some suboptimal audio quality for just a moment. This happened in one other episode as well. That was Jeff Blades. So if it's your first time, I promise we usually sound way better than this. And you'll even get to hear the difference between suboptimal versus proper and why I request earnestly that guests have an external microphone so that your ears can be spared from that. So apologies for that. But nonetheless, Dr. Al Mink sounds good. So here he is. Al, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks, Pete. I am really excited to be on this podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, me too. Me too. Now, I first want to kick it off by hearing a little bit about your story of biking over 2,400 miles in under three months to raise money and awareness for the Children's Science Center. How did you decide that this is something that you ought to do and sustain yourself for a period that long? (laughs) <laughs> That's a good question. The probably last question is, if you knew what you know now, would you have started it? <laughs> oh, well. So, well, Pete, I really am a passionate supporter of science, technology, engineering, and math, or STEM for short. I think it's important for our nation's security, our economy, and for our youth and professionals. So 
I look for an opportunity to contribute to the cause and still do something that's another passion of mine, bicycling. So recruited uh, three of us as cyclists and my wife in a support vehicle. We rode across the country. It's the route established for the bicentennial of our country, 1976. The good part of that is that it brings together a lot of history on the route. The bad part of that is it follows a route that has a lot of history, so it's not the most direct route across the United States by any means. But I learned a lot, you know, the impressions of what it was like for Lewis and Clark or looking at the Oregon Trail and the early American frontier, you know, getting across the Oregon Trail. It's just, and we think about the challenges today and, and you think about the challenges these folks went through to get across. And then my biggest takeaway from this was the enjoyment of getting to know our country, particularly the middle part of the country, the part less traveled. Because we wanted bicycling roads with history. We're going through small towns and you get to meet the folks and they really like to talk because it was in the fall leading to the election. So everybody had an oh, opinion man. on every topic. <laughs> so I'd say the most challenging part was connectivity. You know, I had to run my businesses, my consulting, my real estate, and some teaching while on the road. You can't take for granted connectivity, cell phone and computers when you're on the road. That was a big challenge to find some places where in the middle of the country. Okay. So, yeah, tremendously rewarding for all four of us going across the country, raising money for STEM. Oh, that's fun. Thank you for sharing. And so now we're talking about radical job changes here on this episode. And so that was a pretty radical move right there, bicycling <laughs> that whole pathway. And so could you maybe give us the one or two minute outline of your own career, just so we can get kind of oriented how... Boy, you're really walking the talk when it comes to radical job changes. Well, first, I'm probably not the only one that's had radical job changes. In fact, I did a little research on others. There's a lot of leaders across America that have been successful and done radical job changes. And I also got to say up front, there's a lot of luck involved being in the right place at the right time. So with those as some caveats, for me, the first one was going from college, you know, as an engineer at MIT in computer science to go fly jets in the Air Force. Wasn't a whole lot transferable, and it's probably not what you would have picked, but that's how I was able to get through college was on ROTC scholarship. And it turned out, this is my first experience with Pivot, is that a lot of the engineering that I picked up in college was applicable for aircraft and weapon systems, fuel computations, pneumatics, electrical systems. That's a big part of flying a jet. Another one was an internship at our headquarters going from the flight line to the Pentagon. Internships are pretty safe, but for this one, I was very fortunate that my operational background, my computer background, and my MBA fit with headquarters. So I ended up working their $500 billion five-year budget, bringing computers online for it. The third one was, there I was, a transport pilot. That's like an airline pilot for the Air Force, moving troops and cargo. You get to see the whole world, my first tour when I started the Air Force. But I was advised, I learned the power of mentors to get closer to the mission of the Air Force, like any company. And our mission was warfighting. So they suggested I move into bombers. And they allowed a couple, actually two transport pilots a year to go into bombers. And so I did. It turned out to be really lucky. I ended up following a a colleague up to a remote place in northern Maine. It was the first B-52 unit to pick up non-nuclear tactics. You know, we were nuclear bombers at the time. And one thing led to another, and the short story was I was the first bomber pilot to deploy for the Gulf War uh, in the middle of the Indian Ocean. 
and led the largest bomber tanker uh, strike of the war, the one that was low level. Didn't actually fly the first one, flew later ones, but helped direct it from the command ship. So that's kind of the third pivot. The first one's into the Air Force, the next one's an internship. And the third one, which I can't overstate how radical that is, it's like going from being in char working and developing minivans for an auto company to moving over to tractors. I mean, it's just a whole different business transport to bombers. Well, another big shift was to leave government and move to industry. That was family as a fact of life, life-work balance. And for a lot of reasons, I had to do that. I did that shift, but I prepared for it. I moved to, I became chief of IT tech initiatives for the Air Force and the talking head for IT transformation for the Air Force and industry conferences. 9-11 happened and defense contracting exploded. And then the last pivot, after going through three jobs over a decade in industry, was to move from corporate to consulting. I was going to start my own business, you know, startup in the defense industry. Instead, moved to consulting to help other businesses, large and small. And I started that three years ago, and that's grown very well also. Each of those, I was able to take prior skill sets and apply them. But each of them also required new skill sets and had some gaps in my background that I had to mitigate. And I'll tell you, across all of them, I loved them. The differences in the jobs made it really interesting throughout my career, and I wouldn't trade it in for anything. All right. Thank you for that outline there. And so I also want to dig into one of your particular accomplishments. You were promoted to colonel about three years ahead of standard or your peers, putting you kind of in the top 1% of, I guess, speed of a promotion as an Air Force officer. Is that correct there? Yep. Those are the right facts. Yeah. Okay. So just orienting the right. So first I'd love to know, you know, how did you pull that off? And to what extent are you thinking that these job changes of a radical nature or your mindset associated with that was key in making that happen? They put it to several factors. First, again, being very, very fortunate, fortunate in terms of luck and timing, you know, a little bit like Forrest Gump in that movie a while back, (laughs) Uh, you know, and different investments and being out on the only boat during a hurricane so they can bring it back in. Also, I owe it to some colleagues, both peers and bosses, who supported me and acted as mentors, and that was invaluable. And the third is some of the standard block and tackling, like in some of your other podcasts, Pete, on just how to perform well in your job. So we put all those in the mix. Today, we're talking about radical job shifts, right, and things where you move, instead of going up the career ladder, like one rung at a time, you kind of, you know, fling yourself from your current ladder onto an adjacent ladder and work on that one for a while before you move to yet another ladder. So that's a little bit of the difference of the radical job changes. You know, some luck there, but at the same time, and you look ahead at where the skill set might apply and what you'll need in the future if you want to be a general in the Air Force, a CEO of a corporation, whatever your career goals are, kind of look towards the skill sets by reading biographies, talking to those leaders. And then noting where you feel you might have a gap and intentionally trying to orient yourself towards one of those radical job shifts or pivots, as you might say. And uh, I'd say going from Air Force to industry as an example. Sure, I was very fortunate. That's a bad word, perhaps. But on the timing that I was in place to help industry help America right after 9-1-1. So that helped, too. At the same time, having a background in technology and in the customer space, national security helped. And I had to learn some of the uh, the nuances of the business side. 
and threw myself into that. So I, I would say as I look at senior leaders over time, uh, you'll find that these radical job shifts aren't uncommon. In fact, they're very common. You know, you could pick Martha Stewart. She was a model, you know, and as a 25-year-old mother um, was finding fewer modeling jobs. So she pivoted and went into Wall Street as a stockbroker. Seems like a huge jump, but a lot of it was attracting clients, and she was very good at that coming out of her previous career. Uh, and then when she understood finance and investment, she's able to get equity to start her own business and gourmet cooking. And we know what happened now. She's valued at over $400 million. So there's a lot of examples of folks who have done something that seems extreme, but if you decompose it, you'll see that they smartly leveraged the skills they had to pick up new skills and be successful at them. Okay. Well, that is a nice kind of key theme that runs throughout there is there's zeroing in on one skill that's applicable and then seeing how that changes over. Can you share some additional perspectives on how one can make the shift in adjustment successfully? Let's talk, first of all, reinforce what the difference between a radical job change and just a promotion, right? It's different in the nature of the job. It might be going from technical to ops or into sales or finance. So it's way outside what would be your, considered your profession, right? And it could be into a different industry, right? It could be from going from a product to a service firm. Those are significantly different. Or it could be the nature of the firm could be different. You could be in a for-profit and then go into a non-for-profit or in entertainment and go into government. So they operate differently. They have different values, different business models for each of them. So that's what it is. So with that, some tips that I would break into two parts, Pete. Uh, let me know if you want me to cover both. One is kind of like how to plan and prepare for a radical job shift. And the other is maybe some lessons learned, scars on my part, and tips that I could pass on. What do you think would be best? Oh, yes, please both. So let's say that you're 28 to 32 or any range, but let's just pick that early to mid-career. You're a professional, probably college educated. You want to be a successful leader in your business, however you define your business, your organization. And you're thinking about you know, this pivot, this radical job change. One of the things that you can do, and there is an approach to it, is to work on relations. I'll just go down kind of a list. Start establishing relations and connections. There's a guy named Thomas Corley. He spent five years researching the daily habits of uh, 177 self-made millionaires. And he said, cultivate relationships. You know, wealthy people do six things on relationships. They wish happy birthday. That's pretty straightforward. They call to say hello. They keep in touch. They network. They volunteer. And here's what I would like to hammer. They participate in formal or informal mastermind groups or business groups people with their same interests, to include professional associations. I will tell you that every one of my pivots, my radical job change, was enabled by a personal relationship, without exception. I mean, at one time, it was the four-star general of the Air Force I'd worked with back when he was a one-star at the Pentagon during my internship. So everyone, why these relationships so important? It's because if you just apply to this radical job change on paper, and you let human resources look at you, they would say your resume doesn't fit. It's got gaps and they throw you out. Right. So you really need to be selected by someone who's willing to bet on you and your success and your capabilities and know that you can overcome the gaps. 
Right? So I say build those relationships. I join professional associations. In fact, there's no excuse for not belonging to several. And advance into leadership positions, run committees. This lets future bosses see you in a leadership role, in an expert role. Sometimes you might be chairing a committee and they might be on the committee and you're in a senior position in the uh, volunteer organization compared to them. Right. And also, since you worked at a nonprofit for almost 10 years, you know that if you can motivate and recruit talent where they're not getting paid, imagine how effective you can be in an organization where you actually <laughs> control their salary. Okay, so I hadn't known, I didn't do that intentionally. It was only after about a decade that people commented on that leadership skill, and I realized it was, it was from working at nonprofits, professional associations. So join professional associations. There's a series of other general tips, but if you want to get tactical, here's something you can do immediately when you finish this podcast. You can assess your skill set, identify gaps where you want to fill in the next five to 10 years, and then use this gap analysis to suggest where you should pivot to with the radical job change. You know, you do this, you know, if you do it smart, you can do it in a way that not only fills the gaps, allowing you to be ready for the senior leadership position, but do it in a way that maximizes your probability of success along the way. So here's what you do. Assess your skill set and expertise. Be deliberate. You know, I mentioned both skills and expertise because they're not the same. So, you know, expertise could be like knowledge of a marketplace or a customer set. And skills are more about job tasks and activities. Both are important. but They're slightly different. So visualize a matrix. Okay, Every row is one of those skills or expertise. Either the ones you have or ones you're going to need. Okay, And then your leftmost column, look at your inventory, your skill set before your current job. And can we talk about the skill set? I guess mm-hmm. we got rows and we got columns. So you got me engaged. I'm visualizing this matrix and I'm all in. Mm-hmm. So where do I go about populating the skills? I guess my first instinct is why the book for your improvement, of course, or off the top of your head based on what you know yourself to be good at and wish you were good at. But is there kind of a checklist or a compendium or a resource that you'd recommend folks use to augment this process? That's a good question. I'd love to actually see something we could put online that had that list. You know, for a very senior position like a CEO for a large company, those skill sets tend to converge. but lower on a pyramid or for smaller businesses, they could be diverse. My one tip for this, particularly when you're young and maybe you're going through an MBA program or you have some other reason, is find a way to buy breakfast or lunch for someone very senior or by being in a professional association, you happen to sit next to someone very senior and uh, just ask them what they think the important skill sets are for their job. Assuming that's a job that you aspire to, that general type of job, maybe not that exact company and ask them, be it automotive, finance. I think the skill sets, the hard skill sets will differ. The soft skill sets like leadership and communication, you know, some of the ones that you even list on your website there, Pete, would be the same. Okay, thank you. Well, please continue with the matrix. I just wanted to make sure we cover that there. Yeah, communications and relationships, looking over your list, you know, would definitely be two of them. Okay, but you, you raise a good point. So this is like a gap analysis. You know, and the reason you kind of look at your last job and your current job is you're going to learn something from that. If your skill set didn't really grow, you know, then you've got to sit back and wonder why you move to the current, the next job. It may enable you for future advancement 
Maybe that it just got you a better paycheck. Those are both valid reasons. But if you want to succeed and reach senior levels, you got to do more than that. You got to see that you're having growth as you move forward. So you got your current job, then go to the far right and do exactly what you were talking about, Pete. Create a list of what it takes, a skill set for the job you're aspiring to. And research and interview to start filling out those rows. You know, maybe break it. What I did is I broke the soft skills and the hard skills into kind of separate bands. And then you got this white space in between, you know, the radical job change, the pivot. And your goal is to get the skills that are missing. A little bit like a board game, but get them. At the same time, mitigate your risk by thinking how you can pivot on the skills that you do have, that they can work. You know, I can't help but think of Liam Neeson and Taken as we discuss this particular set of skills. And so then I'm curious then when it comes to acquiring them, there's probably many ways to slice or skin that cat with regard to taking on new roles in your current job or committees or volunteer extra kind of pieces there, as well as kind of volunteering outside there. Courses, lynda.com, this podcast. So what would be something like your favorite means of going forth and acquiring those skills? Some you can do on the side, reading, fits, key books, particularly uh, biographies, ones on self-improvement, your other podcasts, certainly education. I'm not a big fan of certificate education where the paper is more important than the content in some cases, not all in some, but if you have a strong technical background, picking up an MBA or something that teaches you the business and management side, because those would be sets of gaps and weaknesses. But when it comes to real life, sometimes the only way to get those skills and expertise firsthand is to move into a position where they're necessary for success. And you're going to have to learn them and practice them in the job after you land in the job. Okay. I get a kick out of that. It reminds me of learning a language by just showing up in that country. You got to know it (laughs) or you know, you're going to be in trouble. So it's just sort of that forcing mechanism is present there. Very cool. Well, let's take that for a second, Pete. Let's say you do have to go in a foreign country. You're right. The language, you're going to have to learn it. You don't know it the day you land. So what skills do you have where you can mitigate? Maybe you know another language that's similar. Maybe you learn to use Google Translate. Maybe you use relationships. And you have a good friend who is bilingual who will come with you for some key meetings and help, right? Or maybe you're smart online, you know how to outsource to translators for written documents. So that's what I mean by pivoting on your existing skill set to kind of mitigate until you can fill out that missing skill. Otherwise, you could suffer a greater risk of failure. So you really want to pivot on your strengths. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Well, so now, what would you say, you know, once you, you know, go forward and you've got the job, I imagine there is... Often, especially in the first weeks and months, that you know maybe it's imposter syndrome. I don't belong here. This is so hard. It seems to be going easier for everybody else. Like there's that confidence gap. If you talk about a skills gap, I think sometimes there's still a, an internal feeling gap present, even if you've got the skills proper. So, what are your pro tips on navigating that? I would say you're right, and be upfront that a radical job change, a big pivot, is risky. Um, you got to come up the learning curve. you got to face culture change because you are an outsider. And others are going to wonder why you were selected for that job instead of them, what you bring to it because you're an outsider. You know, it's like being a 
a transport pilot and going into bombers, right? There's different tribes. You're going to have blind spots, just things you don't know what you don't know. So those are some risks. Not knowing what you don't know and not having a plan to work it, in my experience, the most frequent cause of failure. You know, a good example in misapplying a, a prior successful paradigm and then, you know, and not testing it, not using an internal network, right, uh, was J.C. Penney's. 1902, James Cash. I rode through Kemmerer, Wyoming, so I got up on J.C. Penney. But fast forward to 2011 during the Great Recession, they're suffering. They hire Ron Johnson, great Apple executive. He's the guy who built and ran the Apple stores. We all know them, right? Little, little tables, especially devices, no discounting at Apple. And he applied that to J.C. Penney without mm. testing it and without checking with the current culture. And it failed. Two years later, he was fired and we brought someone who was an old timer at the firm to start running. So those risks are real. And there are certain things that you want to do for a radical job change that are either magnified or more important than a regular job change. I can talk about some of those if you like. Well, yeah, if you got a quick tip or two, I'd love to hear it. Okay, sure. Pivoting on your existing skills. It's a little bit like asymmetric warfare, using your strengths. We alluded to it. Example for me when I was at running defense and intel at Unisys, the CEO stood up initiative to stand up a healthcare practice, informatics at Unisys. So I did it for defense. I was picked to run it for defense. I went over to sales. They had a separate sales organization. I knew I didn't know anything about healthcare IT. Okay, A lot about national security, but not about healthcare IT for DOD. And so I went to sales and said, I need a business developer that really knows this. And Barbara was the one they hired, they picked. She was a prior nurse. She was an advocate. She looked at me and she went back to her boss and said, I can't work with Al Mink. He doesn't know anything about this. He'll embarrass me. Mm. But over time, we worked together. And I think the breaking point was when I became what they called at the time a, a booth person, booth guy, booth babe, and went in there and took off my suit, put on my jeans, stood up at the booth at the conference, and then manned it so she could go out and network and kind of broke the ice. So pivot and be really cautious about your weaknesses. Leverage good ideas. Another tip, leverage good ideas from private prior jobs, but avoid attributing the idea to your former organization. Now, you always hear about the person that says, you know, back when I was at company A, we did it this way. Or that even if it's a great idea, they're going to be resistant to pick it up. Uh-huh. So I can give you some examples, but a better approach is to ask questions, make some suggestions, have part of your team research some or develop some alternatives and evaluate them and coach them to come to the conclusion. You know, maybe you're not being the most direct in that case, but you're using leadership and communication to guide an organization through change. Culture and culture is so important. Uh-huh. So those would be a couple tips. Got plenty more, but those are a couple I'd highlight. Oh, that's handy. Thank you. Well, so tell me, Al, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Yeah, I would stress that although it's not covered widely, the idea of taking risks such as a radical job change is something that should be embraced. It's uncomfortable, but it should be embraced. Corley, you know, as I mentioned earlier, interviewing the millionaires said, yeah, you know, a failure to separate yourself from the herd is why most people never achieve success. Mm. By the way, he was a CPA, not a social worker, not an author. He did some pivots himself. You know, Zuckerberger, 
you know, if you talk, it's entrepreneurs, but, you know, he said in the world is changing really quickly. The only strategy is guaranteed to fail is not taking risks. So separate yourself from the herd. Um, another tip, last tip, develop your own herd and from your prior assignments. This is something that I watched others, but I didn't pick it up myself. Bring others with you, their former peers, a subordinate that you know could take on greater responsibility and bring them into your new job. That lowers your risk tremendously. You know, you've got a faithful team behind you that's loyal to you. And as you know, are performers that can form a core uh, to help you succeed in your new job. So I, I probably could have done that better because I realized it late in life. Mm. This is such good stuff. Thank you, Al. So now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I got to tell you, the leader that really struck me in life was Lincoln. You know, he did some huge pivots in his career. He had tremendous challenges nationally. He had family challenges. In the end, he had a huge impact. So let me pull a couple from Lincoln. He talked about, you know, if you give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend the first four sharpening the ax. Yeah. That always makes me feel better about cleaning my desk before I start working. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You know, and one of the traits of being successful is getting up early in the morning, a couple hours, either to work out or get your thoughts for the day in shape, private time, when other people are sleeping to get ahead. The Lincoln had a second quote that's like the left hand, right hand to it. And that's things may come to those who wait, but only things left by those who hustle. Oh, that's good. Lincoln was hustling. Hashtag hustle of Lincoln. Yes. So this is kind of like plan a radical job shift, not to kind of deliberately apply this, but spend time thinking through it. There are tips, you know, doing the gap analysis, interviewing, picking up mentors, you know, professional associations, but then there's time to act. Okay. Be decisive and follow through with execution. It's not in all in academics. So this let's be for a couple of my favorite quotes. All right. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? Okay. Let's pick one that's fun. All right. And it's only something recently I came across, but it's strange how I accidentally came across it and resonated. Tom Corley and his 15 Habits of Millionaires. I never met him. Okay. Um, it's just, I looked over it and it resonated and made explicit some of the things I had seen in life for good leadership and good success in business, not just becoming rich. All right. Okay. So Thomas Corley, um, you can just Google him, 15 Habits. Another study the Program Management Institute has a program management body of knowledge. Okay. And even if you're not running a program, if you're just, you're not even a manager, but maybe you get put on a committee or a team or you get promoted, it's a good manual of, of good how to. How do I form a team? How do I do a charter? How do I tackle a project? How do I do like Lincoln said? What should I be doing for those first four hours out of the six to prepare? And they do, by the way, have a program management certificate, but the big thing is knowledge that, that comes through their body of knowledge. It's like distilled lessons learned and techniques for program and project management. So Corley's fun and high level. The program management body of knowledge uh, you know, is pretty dry, but a good reference. All right. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? <laughs> I got two. I got two. You know me. I couldn't just do one. One really fun. Tom Clancy's Hunt for Red October. You know, it's a great mixture of adventure and facts. Okay, this is not how to get ahead in, in your career, but it really does. You can learn a lot 
I like it's one of the first books written that had a lot of facts behind it to tell a story. So you learn as you're reading it. And if you think about Clancy, he was an author that was in the insurance industry and no one would publish his book. And a friend of mine, Tom Fred Rainbow, mentioned to me he was working with the Naval Institute and uh, Clancy, they finally crossed paths and and it was actually a, a nonprofit supporting the Navy that published his first book, Clancy's first book, that shows you networking and relationships can do. The other one I give to you is the one that I use in my class that I teach for American University on the tech strategy, that passion I told you about that I did one on that bicycle trip as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's The Adventures of an IT Leader. The Adventures of an IT Leader. This is a fictional book, but it's put out by Harvard Business Review. Robert Austin, some others are the author, and it's based on real experience and the authors and their research, but put in a fun to read book. And the reason this podcast I'd recommend it is because it tells a story of uh, Barton, the guy who was chief of loan operations for a financial firm. And the company is having problems. The CEO got fired. Um, Another CEO was put in place and the CEO moved Barton from being chief of ops, where he was doing well and thought he'd be a CEO someday, to being the chief information officer of the firm. Radical job change, right? The guy was not a tech guy. And how he pivoted and and used all some of the tips that I mentioned to be successful. So fun read, but it brings out a lot of the points that we're talking about today, the adventures of an IT leader. All right, thank you. And how about a favorite tool, something you use often to be more effective? I still come at things from an engineer's approach, a systems engineer approach, you know, like Lincoln's quote about getting things right. Okay, so that's more of a thought framework. You know, know what you're going to do, know your purpose and audience up front. You're more likely to get your conclusion faster. And as far as a tool, but I use a communications knowledge base. For me, it's this old, not old as current, but it's Microsoft Outlook. And I keep contacts, email, calendar in a disciplined approach and allows me to go through it. Sure, I use mind map and some other tools too, but if you look at, in a Pareto sense, where I spend 80% of my time, it's in communications. So Skype and some others, but being able to go back and know what a friend said or a colleague five years past, and know when to send them a note, be thoughtful and send a note. I don't have that good a memory. I rely on that boring tool of Outlook. Google Mail and Google Apps provide something similar. All right, thank you. And... Do you have a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that's helpful? When I was an aide to a general, uh, he was a great leader, Bob Springer. And, you know, I go around when he would talk and he would talk about the three F's for success, fitness, family, and flying. And fitness was physical um, as well as spiritual. And he said, if you don't have that, you can't take care of family and other relations. And if you don't do that, you're not going to be good at flying. And, And of course, flying was a metaphor for the mission our organization. You're not going to succeed at your job. So personal habit is, is get up early, exercise. You guess if I ride a bicycle across the United States that, that I try to stay in shape and maintaining a healthy diet as a lifestyle, not as weight loss. So again, pretty pedestrian, but being up in the morning for a couple hours to plan the day, do my daily reading, planning the tack, watching fitness and watching what I eat keeps a very strong relationship I'm married 37 years and has uh, really contributed over time, mental discipline and preparation for success in business. All right. Excellent. Thank you. 
And is there a particular nugget, something that you share that seems to really connect and resonate with folks that gets them nodding their heads and agreement? Well, you know, I'm not a published author or speaker on the, on improvement, you know, or, or career growth. I do it out of a passion. So not like a, a real quick quote, but the tip I'd have on, in general life is about STEM. And if you're not working on time to see how technology can help you help your firm um, and help your family, then I think you're losing out on a good part about what life is today. And more importantly, what life will be like in the future. All right. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Well, I just point them to my LinkedIn. Um, have do a search for Al Mink or Alan Mink, A-L-A-N Mink. All right. Very good. And do you have a final parting challenge or call to action that you'd issue for folks seeking to be awesome at their job? <laughs> well, you know, I put a plug in for you, Pete, and say, watch and listen to your podcast. And I've listened to several myself, so that's a real endorsement. But I would say a last parting thought is take the risk. Okay. There's greater downside in not taking the risk than taking the risk. I'm, I'm talking about the risk and radical job change. It could be about investments or anything else in life. And with right preparation, you'll find the downside can be handled and the upside is tremendous. A radical job shift is not just the career stuff that we talked about, but it's being happy in life. I would think that uh, purgatory would be being stuck in a career path that you didn't really enjoy, getting bored with your current job and having it show in your performance and, and missing the goals and the things you want to achieve in life. So take risks, be smart about it, but take risks, look for the risk to take when others won't. All right. Well, Al, thank you so much. This has been tons of fun and I wish you lots of luck and your upcoming trip to Europe and all the adventures you have in store. Well, thanks, Pete. And again, thanks for inviting me into this podcast. I enjoy it tremendously. I really dug the perspective about how every time a career pivot happened, it was because of relationships, people he knew in his life and that formed the connection. And that makes sense and really connects with a lot of the things that we've chatted with other people about earlier, such as in those conversations with Nick Campbell about how he's into pinball or we're talking conspiracy theories. You can check that out. That's 167. And how that connection enables you to sort of leap across any number of HR fields and hurdles and get someone to say, no, this person is great at this thing. So we can have some faith and trust in it. So it just made sense that relationships were a key part of the leap. And it was nice to hear that uh, spelled out and make another connection. So that's what I dug. I hope you did too. Again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items that we referenced here, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep179. And I hope you'll push subscribe so you can hear from our next guest. It's Joe Sanic. He is a counselor who knows a whole lot about dealing with stress and achievement issues and cool hacks along the way to boost that composure that we heard about earlier with Dodie Gilmer. So until next time, peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.